Good morning, church. My name is Lila Johnson, and I'm a life group leader, and I'm also on the prayer team, and we'll actually be in that room over there after service if, you'd like, if you would like prayer. Today's message comes from Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16, and I invite you to, um, invite you to turn there with me if you have your Bible. If you don't have one yet, we'll have one on the screen for you. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. I, therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity, uh, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly and makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Okay, now let's welcome Pastor Greg for today's message. Thank you, Lila. Praise God for the word. Well, good morning, church. Um, my name is Greg. If you are visiting, if we haven't met yet, um, glad you can be here. I'm just one of the pastors here, and welcome to everybody watching online. Uh, before we really get into this text, I, I want to make an announcement. Um, first of all, just... For families with kids who are in kids' crew or you just have young kids, after this service, in the back, we're going to have coffee and donuts for you. It's a time, what we call Ohana Connect, where you can connect with other families, so that'll be in the back lot. Uh, but speaking of the back lot, just a big announcement. Uh, by God's provision, we thank God for His timeliness and His sovereignty. Uh, starting in September, in fact, September 17th to be exact, uh, Honeywell has graciously allowed us to start using the facility back there. Uh, we used it once at Easter, and it was so uh, nice to be back there. 
Um, they're going to allow us on Sundays, starting September 17th, uh, to meet in there. So um, I, w- I want you to mark that on your calendar. I want to invite many of you guys over there on Sundays, um, 9 and 11 a.m. service. We'll still have services here as well. But as you know, in September, across churches, uh, attendance kind of just goes up. Historically, it just shoots up because everybody's back from summer. People aren't traveling as much anymore. And so uh, we really need that space. You'll, you'll fill it on Sundays where we can use as many seats. So that's going to open up another two to 400 seats for us. And so I'd, I'd love for you to go there. It's not an overflow in that you just sit in a room and it's on a screen, but we're going to treat it as a venue, meaning there's, there's going to be live worship. It'll be a little bit more scaled down than what you'll get in the worship center. Um, live MCs, live ushers and greeters, we hope, tech teams in there. Uh, it, it'll, it'll be very much like what you're going to experience here. Once in a while, we will preach from there. So um, look forward to that. And uh, yeah, I, I just pray that you would consider how you can serve and be involved in what God is doing both here and there and together as a church, all right? Well, as we get into today's message, uh, this book of Ephesians that we've been studying is actually a really neat book. And I say neat because it divides neatly into two halves. The first three chapters is the theological talk, and the last three chapters is the practical walk. In other words, the first half was what Christ has done for us, and now that we are starting in the second half of the book, it's now how do we live for him in response to what he's done for us. And in the first three chapters, what has he done for us? Well, we learned that he has saved us by grace. Right, This mystery has been revealed that anyone now, Jew or Gentile, anybody who comes by faith will be saved by his grace. And, and, and that's because Christ died and he rose from the grave. That's his gift to us. That's the gospel. And now as we move into chapter 4, he's encouraging us now to walk. Walk in a way that's worthy of the gospel. And today's message, we're going to see that we are to walk in a way of the gospel by pursuing unity in the body of Christ. Unity is the theme here. I hope you caught that as Lila was reading that to us. And I want to show you three observations from that passage, this passage, of what unity looks like. And so to give you a roadmap of where we're going, let's put up a a roadmap for you guys. Today we're going to see how unity grows from humility, unity grows through diversity, and unity grows toward maturity. All right, so that's where we're going. If you're taking notes, here's the first point. I'd love for you to write it down somewhere. Unity grows from humility. Unity grows from a place of humility. Uh, In in that first part of this passage, you saw him talk about how we are one body under one God, one faith, you know, one Lord, one spirit. And so it's clearly the theme that we are one. But he leads off in verse 1. I want to read it to you again. He says this. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility. There's that word humility. And gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I want to highlight that word humility that he calls us to. Because he leads off a list of these virtues, he leads it off with humility, and I really believe that unity leads off with humility. That word is a very unique word that Paul uses. 
in, in the Greek-speaking world at the time, there was a very similar sounding word that's translated humble, but it was actually a derogatory term. It was a bad word. Like if, if you came up to me and said, Greg, your mom is so humble, I would have beef with you. Like I would have an issue with you. Why? Because you you're talking trash about my mom. Because it means to be low-minded. So it was a bad word, but what Christians did as they wrote the scriptures, they redeemed the word, they tweaked it to make it an actually a really good word, an ad, admirable word, a, a virtuous character. See, it's kind of like this. Uh, in the 1500s, there was this word that came from a Latin root word, and it was the word translated into English as stupid. Not a bad word. It just means somebody who's numb or constantly in a state of being stunned. So you're, you're walking around always stunned like, uh, uh, right? Eventually, it became a derogatory term, meaning one who's lacking intelligence. And so that's a bad word. Don't call people that. But then later on in the 1500s, another word appeared in the Latin language. And from the same root as stupid, they changed the word, tweaked it to make it something awesome. And I'd say, Paul, you are stupendous, meaning you're not constantly stunned, but you're intrinsically stunning, amazing extraordinary you're stupendous and so that's a redemption of a bad word and in the same way the greek-speaking world had this word for humble and the christians began to use it as a way where it still means humble it's translated humility but it's being low or lowly minded in the sense that it's because you've put others high above you you've lifted people high above you we call that humility. Why? Because that's something we've seen in our Lord. It's a character trait we want to pursue. It's virtuous in every way. And so Paul, who used it here in Ephesians 4, he also used it in Philippians chapter 2. Let me show you that verse in, in, in verse 3 of chapter 2. He says this. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. There's that word. Count others more significant than yourselves and so understand that you are not the scum of the earth Paul said in Ephesians 2 verse 10 that you are his craftsmanship his workmanship his masterpiece so being humble isn't saying that you are a lowly piece of trash it's just simply not thinking so highly of yourself in fact it's just not thinking of yourself that often at all because you're busy thinking of other people. It's not putting yourself down. It's making a choice to put people up, lift them up above you. And that's what humility looks like. And humility is required for unity. You know, when we do premarital counseling, a lot of times that first session together, uh, we talk about oneness and unity in the marriage. And, and there's just this truth that if you want to pursue oneness in a marriage, it's going to come when both people are committed to being humble and putting the other person above themselves. First and foremost, you put Christ above you, and then you put your spouse before yourself. Consider their interests and not just your own. And I'm telling you, when this breaks down, when at least one party chooses not to, to put, put the other person before them, but chooses to insist on their own way, I challenge you, look at any relationship that's broken down, inside or outside of marriage. Consider any divorce you know of. And I'm willing to bet at least one party, if not both, 
have been in this pattern of just putting themselves first, insisting on their own way, failing to yield to the other person. And when you do that, then discord and dissension and division is just right around the corner. And yet humility is required if we want to pursue unity. Christians have redeemed this bad word and we see it as a good thing. Why? Because we've seen it in our, our Lord. Because Christ, who is in very nature God, who had the highest place and highest position, chose to lower himself to the lowest place on earth, which is the cross. Why? So that we would be lifted up. And it's in that humility that we are united with God. Without humility, there is no unity. So we start there. Unity comes from humility. But we go on in the passage, and Paul shows us that unity is going to grow through diversity, the diversity of our gifts and abilities. And so we pick up in verse 7. It says, but grace, the word charis, was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And so here we're talking about these gifts given by grace. We call those spiritual gifts. In fact, you probably heard of the term gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's what we normally call them. Did you realize they're also gifts of Christ the Son? Christ also is included in giving these gifts. And if you go to Romans 12, it says, Paul says that these gifts are given to us by God the Father. So they're gifts of the Spirit, gifts of the Son, gifts of the Father. And so we see this unity in the Trinity given to men and women so that there would be unity in the body. And so the Godhead is working together to bless us with diverse gifts and abilities, different roles. And that's why we see in passages like this, this metaphor. Do you realize it's a metaphor? We say it so often that we forget it's a metaphor. The body of Christ. It's a very choice metaphor. Why? Well, precisely for this reason, because the body has many parts, moving parts, different abilities, and they all work according to the ability God has given them for what? For the good of the body, the unit. Different parts, many of them, but together one unit. And when they work according to what they're supposed to do, then there is growth and maturity in the body. And so unit T grows from diversity. When the diverse gifts that Christ has given work interdependently to support each other and to help each other. So I get this reoccurring pain in my shoulder. After certain activities, the next day it's like just sore and it's aching and, and it's been happening for a few years. And finally, uh, my friend Newly, he's a physical therapist, and Karen, who goes here, works with him, and she said, you got to go see him. So I go in, and he asks me what, what's going on. I, I tell him where the pain is. He says, when does it happen? And I tell him, well, usually after a certain activities, after a surf session the next day, it's really sore and hurting. He says, I got it. I know what, what you need to do. He says, all right, get on your side. I go, What? So he says, I do a plank. And so I'm in his office and I'm planking on my side. And he says, all right, lift your leg to your chest. And so I'm here in his office and he says, having me do these reps in his office. I'm like, when in the world does this have to do with my left shoulder? He says, all right, get on your back. So I'm on my back in his office. He says, start, start lifting your, your, your knee to the sky and start thrusting your hips. I'm like, what does this have to do with my shoulder? 
He says, go home, do these many reps, this many times during the week. He says, just keep doing that. And so I do it. Uh, I do several days in the week for as many reps as he told me to do. And after a few weeks, I noticed there's no pain. And I go surfing and I'm not getting that pain in the morning anymore. And I'm like, how in the world do these exercises on my side, lifting my legs to the sky, how is that helping my shoulder? And he explained to me, because when the parts that support your shoulder are working optimally, doing what they're supposed to do, then they lift the burden off the shoulder so that your shoulder can work optimally, that it works longer, it works stronger, more efficiently, more effectively, because the other parts are helping carry its weight. He said, I'm like, that's crazy. I was like fascinated. He's like, oh, you have no idea. He's like, I could go on and on. He's saying even how you breathe affects your spine health and the the health of your neck. Meaning if your lungs are functioning the way they should, then it'll help your neck and your spine function the way they should. I said, that's crazy. He's like, your big toe. He says, "How, how well your big toe functions affects your back. If your toe's not functioning right, your back will feel it. And so he's showing me how God, the designer of the human body, has creatively designed the body of Christ, right? He has so well, wonderfully made our human bodies. And the designer of the human body is also the designer of the body of Christ. And we see how God has created us with different abilities and functions to support each other. And when we work optimally according to our gifts, so do the other parts. And so let's see how God has uh, gifted the church to this end. He says in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so Christ has given these certain leaders to empower the church. And he lists who these leaders are. And a lot of people will look at a passage like this, Ephesians 4, and and say that, hey, there might be some of us here who are apostles and prophets. And I want to say uh, we've done this a few years ago, and I'd love for us to do it again where we take a a deeper dive into each of the spiritual gifts in the Bible and, and define them and see what they mean. But I want to show you what I believe he's talking about here when he talks about apostles and prophets. What's Paul talking about here? Well, let me define apostle for you and a prophet. Apostle, by definition, is a messenger who is sent out. A messenger sent out. And then a prophet is somebody who has received divine revelation from God and speaks forth or proclaims God's divine will. And when you study the Bible, it's often good to ask, what did the author mean? And one way you could do that is you could, you could see how does the author use certain terms in other places, in other books that he's written. And if he's written the, the same terms in the same book, that's even more helpful. And so how did Paul use apostles and prophets in the book of Ephesians? Well, you look at Ephesians 2 verse 20. He's talking about the house of God. He says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. There's those two words. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone on which they were built. And then we go to Ephesians 3, verse 5. He says the mystery of Christ, in essence the gospel, 
which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it is, has now, speaking of this generation or generation Paul was writing in, it's now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So who are the apostles and prophets that Paul is talking about here? I believe in this specific context, he's referring to this specific group of men who were the first to witness or experience the death and resurrection of Christ, or who there were receiving this divine revelation that this is the gospel, and they were now being messengers sent out, apostles, to proclaim the, the divine will of God. I believe they were the ones that we read about in the book of Acts who helped establish and birth the church. Apostles like James and John and, and, and Peter and even Paul who were called by God to help start the church. We read about that historically in Acts there in the first century. That's who I believe he's talking about as the apostles and prophets, the foundation of the church. And then beyond them, he gives evangelists. Evangelists who are going to spread this good news to different regions beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea and Samaria, to different regions of the earth. And then it says he gives shepherds, also translated pastors, who are the teachers to be set up in these local church bodies to help encourage the local believers in those regions. And so we have apostles and prophets, we have evangelists, and we have pastors and teachers in these churches who God empowers now for a specific purpose. And though each of these leaders that God has given have different gifts and abilities, there's at least one gift I believe they all share in common. What's that gift? Was the ability to teach God's word. The ability to communicate God's truth. Why? So that they would be known as great orators and gifted speakers? No, it says in verse 12, here's why Christ gave them, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So the gifts that Christ has given these, these leaders to establish a church have a high priority of equipping and empowering and teaching the church to now go serve and use your gifts and your abilities to do the work of the ministry. And as you serve and as you use your gift, you're encouraging other people to serve and use their gifts. And in essence, the body of Christ will be built up. And so let's get practical. Let's get practical. What does that look like here in this local church, South Bay Community Church? Well, in this church, God has given leaders who are to use their gifts of teaching and communicating God's word to you. Why? so that we would be known as great speakers and eloquent communicators? No, our job is to empower you, church, to use your God-given abilities by his grace to serve others. As your pastors, we fail. We fall short. We are not doing our job if all we're doing is teaching to tickle your ears. If all we're doing is teaching so that you feel great about yourself, so that you could go home and, and do your own thing all week, then come back the next week to hear another message and feel good, and then go back, and, and that's the pattern, then we fall short of what God has called us to do, what, why God has given us a particular grace gift. Our job is to empower you and equip you so that you move from being just consumers to contributors. 
And as you start contributing with your gifts and your abilities, we pray that we would welcome and guest people who don't go to church, people who don't know Christ, to be able to come, feel at home, and we pray that those guests eventually feel like they're so at home that they will now become hosts and move from consumers to contributors. And that's how together we work as the body of Christ, doing our part to help build up the body. So again, practically, what does that look like here? Well, let me give a few examples. Uh, just one example, we mentioned Honeywell is about to open up in a few weeks. That's amazing because it's going to open up more seats for unchurched people, for people who don't normally go to church. That's what we want to see. But that's going to require more uh, helpers and servants. We, we need more lighting people and audio people and uh, ushers and greeters and, um, and, and worship, you know, worship members. And so I want to encourage you to really consider, how can I contribute to what's going on, what God's doing here? And if you go to our website, I encourage you to go to our website. If you go to the right-hand corner, there's a tab that says Connect. And in the drop-down menu, you'll see a tab that says Serve. I really encourage you to just explore what's there. There's a lot of opportunities to serve. A lot of them are ministries on the weekend that revolve around this service. And then some are beyond that. Some are like serving in missions or Baycrest, our local uh, ministry to the care home, or some are with the kids crew or, or the youth group. And so take a look and see, God, where do you want me to contribute to the body of Christ? And just to let you know, like, you know, the, the ministry leader will communicate with you when they're able to, and your, your requirement or the ask might be once a month, it might be once a quarter, it might be every week. But the leader will speak with you and talk with you through what it could look like, okay? Um, that's, that's one way we can ask, what can I do? But that's just one way. That's just one way. I, I love that Sergio is a brother here at this church. I don't know if you're here, Sergio, but Sergio's the gentleman in the black, and he was a patient at Baycrest, the community care home here in our city. And to the right and to the left of him is Annie Mason and Lauren Hamada, and there's Bob, and they're, they're part of this ministry where they're using their gifts to go beyond these walls to just love on people in that care home. They have the gift of evangelism. I believe that, that, that some of them have the gift of mercy. And they're just loving on people, sitting with them, just having conversation with them. When oftentimes they have no one to talk to and they're sharing the word of God with them. They'll show them messages like they shared with Sergio. They shared with Sergio these services that are on YouTube of, of what goes on here. And Sergio was one who loved it. And so when he was able to, he's been coming in person. He's been coming and he decided, I want to be baptized this September as part of the family of South Bay Community Church. I read his testimony this morning and he said now he's part of that ministry where he goes back to Baycrest and he's ministering to, to people there like he was once ministered to. I love that. I love that there's people in this church who are using their gifts of service and saying, I'll drive a golf cart. I'll drive a golf cart in the parking lot to bring them to this service. I love that there are people uh, in our one another ministry, our women's discipleship ministry, good handful of ladies who have said, I'll, I'll help disciple another sister in Christ. I'll walk with them through the week, not just on the weekends, but through the week and study the word of God with them. And so there are many applications of how you can start using what God has given you. But the question is, how can I contribute to the body 
of Christ. Now, here's the question, and this is an important one. When we serve with these diverse gifts that God has given us, and we strive for unity, what's the goal? What is the goal? And I want to make very clear this morning that the goal is not harmony. Harmony is a good thing. And harmony is a byproduct of this striving for unity, but it is not the goal. What is the goal? The goal is maturity. Maturity. Meaning that we are growing up in our faith and in our knowledge of Christ together as a body. So write this down. Here's the third thing we're going to see in this passage. Unity grows toward maturity. From humility, through the diversity of our gifts, but toward maturity. Let me show you this. So we pick up in verse 12. Christ gave these leaders to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, highlight that word, and of the knowledge, highlight that word, of the Son of God, to mature manhood, highlight that word, to the measure and the, of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Fullness, highlight that word. Why? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Would you pause right there? Every time I read this passage in Ephesians 4, I can't help but picture the church in my mind as like this big old Jesus bobblehead. And I don't mean to be sacrilegious when I say that, but I think about a, a bobblehead because the body of Christ is like you got Christ, this, this perfect, full, complete head of the body. And then the, the body is like an infant body. Christ is, is, is full and complete. He has no more to grow. He doesn't need to grow. He is, he's always been perfect, and yet the body is like an infant. And infants aren't strong. Todd Hoshiko and Nicole, who came into our office this week, they're on leave right now, but, but they just had baby Layla a few weeks ago. And Layla comes in, and she's this precious little infant. And yet, I understand that Layla can't stand up. Why? Because she's an infant. She's a baby. She's not strong enough. But our prayer is that she will grow and mature. And in the same way, in a world where we're surrounded by false teachings, Weird doctrines, cultish beliefs, surround, we will be tossed back and forth with this teaching or that teaching. And yet the prayer is that we would serve each other in a way where we will grow and mature and grow into the head, which is Christ. So we pick up in verse 15. It says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's a picture that the body should grow. Now, here's the thing. I don't know how many guys uh, go to the gym, um, but if you go to any particular gym, you're probably likely to see that there's this thing going around, this terrible thing going around called CLS. Do you know what CLS is? Chicken leg syndrome. 
Have you, have you heard of it? Chicken leg syndrome where, where you got people in the gym who will focus and work out on certain body parts that are lovely and visible. They'll bulk it up. They'll exercise it, work it out. Yet there are other parts of the body who are terribly neglected. And oftentimes it's the legs. The legs are the hardest muscle to work out. Nobody likes to work the legs. And because they're the least visible... The, the least return for your work and your efforts, sadly, a lot of the times, legs don't get love. Le legs get neglected. And they begin to uh, experience atrophy and, and they, they are what they are. And so what's the takeaway? What's the takeaway? Practical application. Friends, don't let friends skip leg day. <laughs> Amen. You, don't let, you just don't do it. Why? Because it looks silly. It looks terrible. It doesn't matter if certain parts of the body look good. When you look at it as a whole, it looks terrible. I wonder what God sees when he looks down at the body of Christ. When he looks down and sees the body of his son, Jesus Christ. And I wonder if he just looks down and he's just shaking his head in grief because... That doesn't look right. That, that just looks sad. What does he see when he sees the church? What does he see when he sees South Bay? Does he see 20% of the body doing its work, working out, exercising, growing healthy, and yet 80% shriveling spiritually? Or, or maybe 50% 50, 50 of the body doing its work and exercising and using its gifts, and then 50% not doing anything. Even if it was 80%, nine, even if it was 90% of the body working out, doing its part, growing, and 10% is shriveled up, that doesn't look right and pleasing in the eyes of God. From the head to the shoulders, knees, and toes, I pray that God would see his body growing in proportion because all of us are supporting each other, working together to grow in our faith. Now, once again, I ask the question, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of us working out our gifts and exercising our abilities? Once again, it's maturity. And I say that because I pray that none of us are patting ourselves on the back because I signed up for a ministry and I'm, and I'm part of a team and I'm doing something, which is great, that's great, but, but that's not the end. That's not the end in itself. Our gifts and our service and our ministry are only the means to a greater goal. And that greater goal is unity in the body toward maturity. Where we grow together in our faith and in our knowledge and our understanding of who Jesus is and what his word says. That's maturity. I pray that whatever we do, we keep this greater goal in mind, that this is always on the forefront of our minds, that this burdens our heart, that we're asking ourselves, what am I doing to help the church grow in faith and in the knowledge of truth? Because reality is unity isn't merely harmony. It's not just love and peace. Unity is when we actually grow in truth because the reality is we can all get along but we could be dead wrong in the things we get along in. So I think about my high school years, is 1990s, and um, there's a particular group 
uh, that I heard about that was super close, uh, really tight-knit, and they, they really uh, were united in their beliefs, their convictions. And they got along so well that they actually rented out this big mansion in San Diego. And they all committed to living together and just studying together. And, and this particular group united in what they, they, they were convicted of and they were passionate about. They even said that they believed in God. And they, they said that they, they read the Bible. But the thing is, the way they read the Bible was through a particular framework. This belief that they really believed that God was this higher extraterrestrial being. And their goal was to be transported from this level of human existence to a higher level, level where they too can become immortal extraterrestrial beings. And so I'll never forget, it was in March of 1997. I came home and I, I happened to see the news that day and I learned that on March 26, 1997, 39 people in this mansion down in San Diego, called them, calling themselves Heaven's Gate, committed mass suicide. 39 people. And they recorded themselves on a camcorder, farewell messages with smiles on their face, peace in their hearts, because they believed that when they commit this suicide together, which coincided with the comet Hale Bop that was about to fly over, they believed that there's a UFO following that comet, and that UFO was going to transport them from this level of human existence to the next world where they will become extraterrestrial beings. They were united in their belief about God and the Bible. But they were united in the wrong things. The false beliefs that they subscribe to. And so understand that when we work together, it's more than just harmony. It's more than just love and peace. It's important that we understand that God is glorified in the church when we are unified in his truth, what is truly true. I'll say that again. God is most glorified in his church when we are unified in his truth. And we come to learn and understand truly who Jesus is, who God is, and what the Bible says about him. And so the greater goal of our diverse gifts, our roles, our service, is that we would grow as one body under one head in one Faith, one truth, the true truth. So let's get practical. What does that look like for us here at this church? Again, when, it's constantly, it's when we constantly ask not just how can I contribute and how can I serve, but when we ask how can I do my part to help the church come together under the word of God? How can I help the church get here? And so, yeah, when you... When you put on a blue shirt and you serve in the nursery or kids crew, not only are you helping kids learn the word of God, but also you're freeing up parents to be able to come, find a seat and gather with the church under the teaching of the word of God. When you stand at the doors and you usher people to their seats and you warmly greet them with a smile on your face, you warm people's hearts. You remove barriers that might be in their hearts as they walk through the doors and you allow them to come and receive the word of God. When our tech teams, when they put on their headsets, when they get behind the booths, though nobody sees them in, in rooms back there, they're helping us 
see the word of God when they adjust the lights just right. They're helping us hear the word of God when they're adjusting the volume just right. They're helping people at home see the word being preached as the cameras are, are, are following along. And that is their contribution or your contribution to helping people hear and see the word of God. Even if we go to Honeywell, even you just choosing the worship there, even if you're not serving on a ministry, you're thinking about how can I open up a seat for somebody who doesn't normally come to church, find a seat so that they could come and hear the word of God. And so if we would all just be thinking, not just how do I serve, but how do I really contribute to this greater purpose of helping the body mature and grow in faith? That should be the burden on our hearts. And not just how do you help people come sit under it. I have to let you know that there are those of you in this church and there are people in this church who are on the other side working together to help deliver the word of God. I want to share this with you. I'm excited to share this with you because you need to know that there is a team of people who help prepare this message. We have a teaching team, and on Tuesdays, we get together and we study the Bible. Even before our staff meetings, your, your pastors are on this teaching team. So that's Pastor Dave, Pastor Dan, Pastor James, Pastor Caleb. That includes myself, along with other members of our staff. Carlton's there, Todd's there, Lauren's there, Sherry's there. Other members of the staff are there, and we study the word together. Whatever passage is going to be preached for that week. And we spend that morning just mining through the passage, trying to see what do we see here? How does this apply to our church? And then whoever's preaching that week, the teaching pastor, will spend the next few days to, to prepare the message, to, to craft the message, to deliver. And then on Fridays, we do this thing called preview. 11 a.m. on Fridays, whoever's preaching that week will actually deliver the message to the teaching team and to certain members of the staff. And after we deliver that message, they'll give feedback, constructive criticism. How can you make it better? How can you make it clearer? How can you make it more effective? I remember it was Ephesians 1 a few weeks ago, maybe like a month or so ago, when we were kicking off the series in Ephesians. And I was up to preach that week, and we were going through Ephesians 1. And so we did our study on Tuesday, and I prepared the message of the week. And then on Friday, I delivered the message I prepared. And afterward, they gave me their feedback. And there, there, there was this one illustration, this one story I was going to share. And I was excited to share it. But when, when I delivered it, a couple people on our team said, I don't know if you should share that story. And I said, well, in my heart, I was like, why not? I love this story. I'm excited to share it. And they're like... Yeah, it might not be helpful. And, and they were being sensitive to the body of Christ, to you. They were thinking about you. And they're saying it might rub people the wrong way. And I don't think it'll come off well for everybody. And it might be more distracting, keeping them from the actual truth of what the scripture is saying. And I so didn't want to hear that. And I wrestled with that, and I really didn't want to hear that. But ultimately, when the weekend came, I chose not to give that illustration of that story based off of their feedback. And looking back, it was the right call. And I thank God that they had a sensitivity to what's really going to help the body of Christ grow at a moment when I didn't have that sensitivity. You know what that story was? You'll never know. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Last night, I, I made a comment, and uh, just a brother in Christ lovingly said to me, hey, maybe you shouldn't make that comment. 
and I didn't make it this, this morning. You'll never know what that is either. <laughs> but together, we're thinking about how do, we, how do we really direct people to the Word of God? Look, we're not always going to get it right and perfect. And so if, if we say something wrong, something false, something off, and you have the gift of wisdom or knowledge or discernment, in unity and humility, come and let's bring it to us. Let's talk through this and let's work together to build up the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. So humility comes, from, uh, unity comes from humility, grows through the adversity, and we grow toward maturity. Let me, let me close with this. Paul says we all have gifts. And in Romans 12, he says in verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And so, church, what has God given you? What has he gifted you with? What burden has he birthed in your heart? What passion has he placed inside of you? And will you use it to the glory of God, serving from humility with diversity toward maturity? Can I ask you all just to bow your heads with me and let's close our eyes. And I want to lead us into a time of response. And if you're comfortable with it, I'd love for you to physically just hold your hands out in front of you. Just on your laps, palms open. Um, and this is just a physical posture. And I want to give you a moment just to thank God and say, God, thank you for what you've given me. The grace you've poured upon me. And just receive that. Just embrace that. And recognize he has been so open-handed and generous with us. And now I want to just encourage you, challenge you to, still with hands open, offer it back to the Lord. And say, God, I want to give it back to you. The grace you've given me and the gifts you give me, I want to use it to serve you. Show me how you want me to contribute to what you're doing. I surrender it to you. I gladly offer it to you for the building of your body and the glory of your name. So thank you, God. Thank you so much for your grace upon us. First of all, for your saving grace that saves us not because of what we've done, but Lord, we also thank you for your serving grace, the grace that you give us that empowers us to now to give back to you and and, and to people so that they would come to know the eternal truth. So take my life, use me, and we pray in Jesus' name.